This is the Do It Scared podcast with Ruth Sukup, episode number 89. On today's episode, we're talking to PR expert Heather Adams about what it takes to stand out in the world of business and how to leverage your fear to your advantage. Welcome to the Do It Scared podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Sukup, and each week on the show, we will talk about how to face your fears, overcome obstacles, and most importantly, how to take action and create a life you love. Today's episode was brought to you by Elite Blog Academy, our online program that teaches you step-by-step how to build a successful, profitable, and sustainable online business. Whether you already have a business or you're just thinking about starting one, EBA provides a comprehensive and proven approach to refining your message, growing your audience, and generating a sustainable revenue. With more than 11,000 students in 60 countries worldwide, we know exactly what works and what doesn't. And our goal is to help you create a business that you love. If you are interested in finding out more, we invite you to join our free training just for podcast listeners at doitscared.com slash EBA. Once again, that's doitscared.com slash EBA. Hey there, and welcome back to the show. As always, my name is Ruth Sukup, and I'm the founder of Living Well, Spending Less, and the Living Well Planner, as well as the founder of Elite Blog Academy and the New York Times bestselling author of six books, including my newest book, Do It Scared. In today's episode, we're chatting with Heather Adams, founder of Choice Publicity, about all sorts of things, from finding the courage to start your own business, to the mistakes you should avoid, to learning how to leverage your own unique fears and strengths in your business, as well as why staying true to your authentic self is really the best way to get noticed. Heather has a lot of wisdom to share, and she has definitely walked the walk in her own life and business. And ultimately, that's exactly what this podcast is all about. It's about taking the time to learn from people who have walked before us so that we can ultimately create a life and a business we love. Because in the end, courage doesn't mean we're never afraid. Instead, courage is being scared but taking action anyway, despite our fear. It's putting one foot in front of the other, even when we're not quite sure where that path is going to lead. All right, so as always, just a couple more quick things before we dive into today's episode. First, you can get all the show notes for this episode by visiting doitscared.com slash episode 89. Once again, that's doitscared.com slash episode 89. Also, if you haven't done this already, be sure while you're over there at doitscared.com to take our free fear assessment to find out exactly how fear might be showing up in your life, what your fear archetype is, find out how fear might be holding you back, and then find out what you can do about it. Also, if you have any questions or you just want to share feedback on this episode, please feel free to send me an email or just message me on Instagram. I love hearing from you guys. All right. So with that out of the way and without further ado, here is Heather Adams. Hey, Heather. Welcome to the Do It Scared podcast. So great to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Ruth. What a delight to be with you. 
Well, I am just excited to hear a little bit more about your story, which I, is where I would love to start. I love starting there. Um, so a little bit about how how you got to be doing what you are now. Maybe first just talk about what you actually do right now and then give us the rough overview, the milestones, the major kind of moments along the way. So I own a boutique PR agency in Nashville, Tennessee called Choice Media and Communications. And we um, are an entertainment and lifestyle firm. We specialize in working with authors and influencers, tastemakers, thought leaders across a variety of categories, business, um, lifestyle, um, athletics, sports, um, faith predominantly. And so, um, you know, people come to us really for one of three reasons. They're looking for um, exposure. And, and for us, that really is media relations. We have longstanding, deep relationships with major national media, and people are, are really looking for that and trying to raise their visibility on a national scale. Um, they also come to us because they're looking for clarity. They've got 10 oars in the water. They don't know which one to paddle first, and they don't know how to tell their story in a clear Clear, concise, and compelling way. Um, and third, you know, they're looking for a new audience. Maybe they've built their platform to a certain level and they're trying to, to grow it beyond that because it's plateaued. And um, they're trying to find all those people in the middle. Or maybe they're known to one audience and they really, if they could just be known to these people over here, it would be a game changer for their business. So that's the three predominant reasons that people come to us. And it's so funny, my long, windy, thorny path to get to Nashville and to, into this industry. I grew up in Atlanta and, um, and went to college at the University of Georgia and studied journalism there, specifically magazine journalism. I thought I was um, going to be working in magazines. And while I was in college, I did an internship for our secretary of state and was in his press office. And I was absolutely fascinated with the juxtaposition of politics and government with the press, with the media, and, and really being the gatekeeper that kind of helped um, bridge those two, you know, those two kinds of people, the people who were the politicians and the elected officials and, and the people who were from the press who were trying to cover all of those. Um, and so I fell in love with that. And I thought, okay, I am going to work my way to go to DC and end up working for a government official in DC on a national level and be their press secretary. Like that's, that's kind of what I thought my path was. And this was long before scandal started, but I very much <laughs> felt like I was going to be Olivia Pope like that handling a crisis. Being that was in the your middle. point of reference. <laughs> 100%. I loved it so much. And of course, scandal came out. Years later, I was in my career for 20 years, whatever, before it came out. But um, but so I, I just fell in love with that. And so when I graduated from Georgia, I went to work for a local county government in Metro Atlanta as their public information officer. And I had 13 county departments that I was responsible for, everything from the water department to public safety. So I would be moderating a press conference for the fire department 
And then the next day I would be, you know, putting the insert, designing the insert that went into your water bill. And it was just crazy. I, I learned so much about all different kinds of communications, you know, because we had a local government access television show that I was a host on and we had a county magazine that I laid out. I mean, it was just crazy. I have these visions of you like putting all the different hats on and like, okay, now I'm going to be the weather girl and now I'm going to do this. Exactly. And so I was 23 years old, 22, 23 years old. And so it was the perfect place to learn all of the different aspects of communications. And, um, And then I left that job because I was a very immature, young, hot-headed professional who, who, who became very arrogant and thought my boss left and, and went and got another job and I applied for her job and I didn't get it. Shocking. You know, I had been there, you know, 18 months and, you know, why in the world would they not have hired this 23 year old to be the new director of the department? But so I, um, I didn't get the job and I was just crushed. And so what I did was I promptly went in and told my boss that I was quitting and I didn't give any notice and I didn't have a job lined up. I mean, what in the world? I can't even like look back at that girl oh, to be think, 23 again, right? A hundred percent. So I went on from there and did a short stint at a nonprofit as um, a marketing officer there. And then nine 11 happened. And when nine 11 happened, we lost our funding and um, it was really, you know, it changed the landscape. Number one of communications um, and, and kind of what I was doing, but also just, like your sensitivity at, at, at work and your relationships and, you know, the whole, um, the whole world was changing because of what had happened on nine 11. So when I lost my job, I couldn't find one immediately because there weren't a lot of jobs to be had. Everyone was in this scared mode, you know? Um, and it was very much a scarcity mentality, I think in the country. And so I couldn't find a job immediately still in PR or in communications. And so I went back to my high school and worked as a substitute teacher for a short period of time while I was looking for a job. It was very humbling, but it was also really rewarding in, in certain ways. I wasn't making any money, of course, but, um, but I, I I think I got a lot of, um, I, I think I got my head screwed on straight a little bit because of all that I had been through up until that point. And really my priorities had been out of whack and got those realigned during that time is when I met my now husband and, um, we started dating and got engaged. And when we married, I moved from Atlanta to Nashville, which is where he's from. And so I was looking for a job in Nashville trying to figure out, um, you know, how I could get back into the communications field. And I landed a job at Thomas Nelson Publishers, which at the time was the world's largest Christian publishing house. It is now a division of HarperCollins. Um, But I started as a publicist there and worked my way up. I worked there for the better part of a decade and worked my way up until I was running the department and working with some of the industry's, you know, biggest 
change agents. You know, there were ministry leaders. Um, there were people who were chefs. So there were people who were business executives. You know, that was the thing that was beautiful about being at a publishing house is there were all different kinds of books that I was working on. I would be working on a novel and then I would be working on, you know, um, a devotional at the same time as I was working on a Max Lucado book, you know, so it was just, it was really, really fun to, to kind of cross all of those categories and genres of books. And that's really Ruth, where I cut my teeth on working with major national media. Up until that point, I had been working predominantly with like local or regional media. So it, predominantly in the Atlanta area. So I might be working with the ABC um, affiliate in Atlanta or the Atlanta Journal Constitution or the um, Atlanta Business Chronicle or whatever. But up until that point, I had really done local media. And when I got to Thomas Nelson, it was like, okay, now you're on the national stage. And I was, I was starting with, you know, pitching the Today Show and the New York Times and Time Magazine and ESPN and, you know, all these places. And that's really where I started building those deep, um, longstanding relationships that I still have to this day. Um, I was there, like I said, for, for almost a decade and loved every bit of it. And when um, the recession happened in 2009, um, you know, they started having to lay people off. And it, we probably went through five or six rounds of layoffs. And, um, and when we did, uh, I was in one of those in 2010 and was laid, was laid off and affected. I'm sure like a lot of your listeners, you know, had, have been affected at some point. And, um, at that time I was well into my career and very seasoned. And so it was, you know, trying to figure out what my best next step was going to be. And I'll never forget it because I had been in New York that whole week pitching our catalog and landing like major media for some of our authors. And I got home on a Thursday and they laid me off on a Friday. And, you know, you go through all of the uh, seasons of grief, you know, Mm -hmm. you're you're angry and you're sad and you're um, bitter and you're, um, you know, hurt. Um, But at the end of the day, it was a business decision. And I loved those people like they were my family and I wouldn't change that time there for anything. But um, so were you completely shocked when that happened? I mean, you didn't didn't really see it coming. You know, it was a tumultuous time to Mm -hmm. be there because it was like a sharpshooter taking people out a little at a time. Like one day you would go in and 25 people would be laid off. And another day you'd go in and five people would be laid off. And then you'd go in and 70 people would be laid off. You know, it was like it was, um, you know, months in between. It was over the period of like, you know, 18 months or so that, that that was happening. But I never thought that it would be me. And I think we get to that place where you feel safe and secure and you know the value you're bringing to this company. And um, I had built an incredible department. It was doing really good work. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, it was a a business decision for them. And um, I didn't take it, I don't take it personally now. I took it personally then. It's hard not Um, to. It's hard not to. Yeah, it's hard not to. But my husband said something to me that, has stuck with me to this day. And he said, um, you know, babe, I don't want you to take your next step out of fear Um, Ah. because you immediately think, okay, I've got to pay a mortgage. Like we have to have this income. We're raising two children. Like we have to, you know, I've got to find a job. And when he said that it was really the calm force that I needed 
to make sure that the next decision I made was a smart, strategic one for me and our quality of life. And that's what led to me starting my own business. Initially, it was just me um, as a consultant. And I... I ran our number one competitor's publicity department oh, wow. as a consultant no for way. the next four and a half years. Yes. Their CEO, I got laid off on a Friday. Their CEO called me on a Sunday and flew me to Michigan the very next week and said, we want you to help us and, and work with so us. funny. Yeah. So, so that was Zondervan then. That was Zondervan. Yeah. Which is then, and that's when my book came out then at the yes, same Yes. So right I was that running that publicity department on the adult um, trade book team when Living Well, Spending Less came out. And that's um, so funny. Yeah. And Paths so, crossed and we didn't even know I it. Know, well, you, so, you must have. <laughs> yes. I was very aware of the project, but it was one of the publicists who worked. Um, on that team, who was your day to day contact, but yeah, it was fun. And I did that for about four and a half years, but what I realized I missed Ruth was the team. I missed building my own team and having, you know, I was building and leading a team for someone else now because uh, I wasn't, I wasn't a full-time employee there, but that was by my choosing. And so, um, so in 2014 is when, uh, we launched choice and that was really came out of that desire to continue to do good work and the work that I was passionate about and loved, but to do it by leading, um, and empowering women, you know, on the team who were coming behind me. That's amazing. So, I mean, but that must've been scary all in its own, like starting your own thing completely. And, and like, t- talk a little bit about that. Like, what was that actually like to go, okay, I think I can do this. I want to start a, my own publicity firm. How many people did you hire? Did you have like a whole business plan in mind? Did you know, already know you had clients lined up? Like how, how exactly did you make that work? Well, we built it for probably six to nine months before it actually launched. And I initially launched Choice with a business partner. It was a woman that I had gone to college with who was also a a PR professional and who had a really um, incredible career up until that point in New York and LA. And, um, and she had moved to Nashville and we got reconnected. And so we launched choice together and we each brought one person to the table that was, um, in a um, support role. And, and so that's how we got started. And, you know, it was very scary because when you're on your own, you're only responsible for you and what your what work you're doing and enough bringing in enough business to support what your needs are and everything. But then when you're responsible for a team of people and, and initially it was four of us, right? Um, you're now responsible for all of them and making sure you're paying attention to bandwidth and that you're constantly um, thinking through acquisitions and bringing in business and, and all of that. And we were really fortunate that my relationships in the publishing world just brought so much business to the table. And, and I don't, um, I don't ever, you know, shortchange that. I think it's such a blessing and a privilege to be able to serve the people that we have. Um, But yeah, it was really scary at first, but it just, I just knew in my gut that it was the right next step. And it allowed me to have that quality of life that I really desired at home. Um, And and that was important to me in that season. 
And how old were your kids when you did this? So Dixon was seven and Thaxton was five mm. when we launched. So yeah. little, yeah. Little, right? Yeah. And that that makes a big difference too when you have little kids and that it's just a, like starting a business can be super demanding. So you have to right. balance all those things. Right. I was out of the weeds, which is what I call the toddler, baby and toddler <laughs> yes. years. You know, I was out of the weeds because both of my boys were school age, but they were still little, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and so it, it definitely was something that took a lot of thought and intention around. But, you know, one thing that I, I share with that a lot of people do the opposite way is, I built a business around the quality of life that I desired rather than finding my lifestyle out of what my work leaves room for, right? So a lot of people create their lifestyle based on what their work allows, you know, and how much time and bandwidth they have and margin they have after work. And I did the opposite. I said, this is the kind of quality of life and lifestyle I want to have. So I'm going to build my work around that. Hmm, That's a really interesting perspective. So do you have any specific advice that you would give to someone who is just starting their own business? I mean, I love the idea of, of figuring out what you want your life to look like and then building your business around that. But any other mistakes that you would want to help them avoid? Like what are some of the hardest lessons that you had when you were first getting started? And what were this, like, what were some of the things where you went, man, if I could do it over, I would do it. I would do this or I wouldn't do this. Right. You know, I think that starting with a really strong foundation and and kind of building this community that I call my board of investors, and I don't mean investing financially, but I mean like they're investing in me personally and professionally, you know, finding that group that you feel safe and that they bring um, competency and experience that's different from yours, but that's going to better your business because they're involved or um, speaking into your life in some way, you know, building that board of investors is really important. For me, you know, that looks like a CFO, somebody who is really competent um, and and well-versed in all the financials for the bus- running the business. Um, it also meant legal, you know, somebody who was helping me with all of those legal decisions and, and setting everything up properly and, and making sure that I had all of the right kinds of contracts in place and, you know, all of that stuff. Um, it also looks like an executive coach and someone who um, was helping me think through Heather holistically, not just Heather, the CEO, but Heather, the mom and Heather, the mentor and Heather, the wife and Heather, you know, like all of those aspects, but was helping me walk through that and continues to help me walk through that as a leader. Um, but, you know, even my HR consultant, like a lot of these people are not full-time employees for choice or for, for me, but they are people who I either pay or I'm friends with and, and they bring a lot of value. So I, I would say that's one big um, benefit. A mistake that I made is not listen. I have not listened to my gut a couple of times during the course of owning choice and I should have because every single time my gut knew the right thing. Oh, that's so um, true. I find that too. I And in fact, now like that's actually on my job description as like CEO and, and integrator for our company. 
um, that like gut instinct is part of part of what I do because I just I have learned that too. It's so hard. Absolutely. Well, you know, it like for example, it in an interview process, I really knew that somebody was not going to be a good fit, but on paper they were excellent. All of their references came back exceptional, but I just knew that it wasn't going to work with the team dynamic. But we offered the job and it paid out and it was not what I was hoping for. It was exactly what my gut said. This is not going to work out. So, you know, it could be a hiring decision. It could be um, signing a client that you really know is not the right kind of client to sign or, or something to that degree. But I, I would say listen to your gut. And one other um, really good lesson you know, I think I have learned along the way is that your people really have to be your number one priority. So often everybody focuses on the day to day of running the business, like, you know, the, the business development aspect and serving the clients and all of that. But if you're not taking care of your people, um, then, then the business is going to suffer as a result. And so I think that is um, something that I have definitely learned along the way and, and is very much a priority for us now. So what does that actually look like for, on a practical level? What are some things that you do to make sure that you're me- putting your people as a priority? Well, I think you have to care for them outside of the office, Ruth. I think that, you know, you need to know what is going on in their lives and be involved in that ask them about their weekends, celebrate when it's their birthday or when they're getting married or when they've had a baby. Um, You know, when they're going through something hard, walk through that and be supportive and encouraging. Throw out the policies and care for the human being. Um, I also involve them in important decisions. So they have skin in the game. You know, I don't want to just dictate how we're going to run this business. I want them to be involved in that process. And so I think by, you know, showing them that you care for them as a person and that you want to take good care of them, um, they take care of your business. It's true. It's really true. It reminds me of, um, do you ever read any Patrick Lencioni? But, oh, yes. oh, I love him so much. So he's got the three signs of a miserable job, I think is the name of the book. It's one of his fable books. Yeah, it's really good. And it actually talks about the three causes of job misery. And it's anonymity, um, which is basically not being known, not know, like not having your boss know who you are as a person or what you're interested in. Um, and then in immeasurability is the other one where you have to have like something to me- be able to tell that you're doing a good job, something that you can keep track of, some some way of knowing like this is what it's expected of me. If and you're is, winning. Yeah, yeah, if you're winning, a scoreboard pretty much. Um, and then the other one is irrelevance, which is basically understanding that your job makes a difference to somebody. So whether it's that your job makes a difference to your boss because you make their life easier or your job makes a difference to your customers or whoever, but you have to feel like it actually matters to someone. And right. I've just reread it recently, and it was just a really good reminder as a boss, I think, of of how important it is to – especially that thing that you said about just knowing knowing your people and knowing them as people and caring about them as people and not necessarily as – just as employees who have something to give you because they work for you, but as people right. who – like because we're humans and we care about each other as, 
as people. It's really. I good. love that. I need to pick that up. I'll have it's to really put that good. in my Amazon cart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. I listened. I listened to the audiobook. I love. I'm such an audiobook fiend. Um, but oh, I have yes. all of the Lencioni books, and I love them because they're all fables, and then they're just easy. <laughs> easy to listen to. Even my kids get into him. We listen to him in the car all the time, uh-huh. but they're really good. He's got a great one too for um, families that kind of apply, take some of his, um, cause it's, he's all about organizational health. So he ta- like brings some of his organizational health principles to the family. It's called three questions for a frantic family. Really good one as well. Ooh. So just a little yeah, recommendation absolutely. there. <laughs> Okay, so switching gears a little bit, let's talk a little bit about the role of fear in your life and in your business. What what is your fear archetype? I don't think we've I've asked you that yet. So I am the rule follower. I was as you were talking about about the like getting the right people with the legal team and the HR, I was like, oh, I bet she's a rule follower. I knew it. I could totally, I had guessed well, that. And it, it aligns perfectly with my Enneagram. Like when I took the fear assessment and I got that, I was like, well, this is like, they were sitting next to me. Like they know exactly who I am. And, and I am a Enneagram one, which is the perfectionist. And, you know, it talks about in the assessment, how um, you struggle with perfectionism a lot. And, um, and so it was just funny how well those married together. But yes, I am definitely, so I fall right into that camp. The rule follower. So you like things to be like, there's a right way and a wrong way to do them. Yes. Pretty much. And there's a way <laughs> to do them with integrity and character and excellence. And there's a way that's, that's not, you know, it's like, I feel like i find the mistakes. That's my superpower, right? Is finding the mistakes. Um, and so going into that, you know, that can be a real burden too. It, it's a yeah. blessing in some ways because I can go in and I can figure out the best way for a system to work. I can mm-hmm. bring clarity to chaos. And I love that so much, but it also, you can nitpick things to death. Yes. Um, you know, it's so funny that you would say that because that's I think that's like one of the really interesting things about understanding your your fear archetype is that every single fear archetype has positive qualities and negative qualities and it's really about learning not just how to overcome your fear but how to leverage the positive aspects of that fear archetype while mitigating the parts of it that are maybe holding you back or have the potential to keep you stuck and keep you in a place and it's funny for rule followers and I don't know if you found this um, to be true, but but what I see a lot of times with rule followers is that there's that, especially for rule follower entrepreneurs, there's a fear of not doing things the right way. So yes, you're very like worried about not getting the legalities right and like want to make sure you have dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's and like that you've done all the rules the way that they're supposed to be done. And I see that happen a lot. Like that can be a real like sticking point for people, especially if the rules are nebulous or if, you know, like you have to just kind of make, make snap judgments right. or just well, decide on things. Well, you may not take the jump ever if right. you have, because you're afraid that you don't have all the things in place perfectly yes. aligned. And so you never step out into the fear right. if you don't, if that's the way you live. Because somebody know? out there might crack down and get, get you in trouble if you haven't done it exactly right. Right. There's almost this like. Or somebody might question your character 
and integrity. And, you know, for, for someone like me that in the, in a business that is completely reputation and image driven, you know, um, that, that could be the death nail. Yeah. So, but on the other hand, what I find with rule followers is that, because I have actually a lot of rule followers who are in my program that are like some of my best students. And what I find is that when, when given a framework or a path to follow, rule followers excel. So as long as you are like know the rules of the game, you're like, okay, I'm going to do all of them and I'm going to do them right and I'm going to get it done and I'm going to follow through. And so like, that's what I mean when you can take those great qualities of yourself and leverage that and then find a way like so if it helps you to have a path then you just need to find find the right path and make sure you're on that right path and then you can follow it so it's it's yes. just really having a checklist having things <laughs> to mark off like that it, and a um, standard operating procedure and a, a, a um, playbook to go by that definitely makes a difference <laughs> <laughs> that's right up your alley right. so I mean when it comes down to that like what are some things in your business that have really scared you and how have you learned to, how to move past those Well, um, several years ago, I dissolved the partnership with the woman that I founded Choice with, and that was really scary because I wasn't sure what Choice was going to look like after her departure. Um, It was a really hard season to walk through because not only was I losing this business partner, I was losing a great friend. Um, and so it, it just was, it was really scary because I wasn't sure I had gone into this creating choice thinking I'm going to have someone who's dividing the responsibilities with me of running and owning the business. And now every bit of that rested on my shoulders. And so that part, Ruth, was really scary. Am I going to be able to do this on my own? Is the business going to suffer as a result? Are people going to still want to do business with us? Um, is the team going to want to work for just me? You know, so those parts were really um, frightening. That does sound scary. It's, it's you know, and I think like there's something to be said for having somebody else who's walking a path with you, especially as in as an entrepreneur, because it is a lonely road. It's it's so hard when you feel all like you're all by yourself and you right. don't have anybody to bounce things off of. And and I think I hear that so often too, just from the people in my community. Like I feel like I don't know what I'm doing, and I feel like safe. Nobody knows what they're doing. But sometimes <laughs> when you can just have somebody else who also doesn't know what they're doing, right. at least you're in it together. So I can right. see that would that would be really really hard. Did it? Did the friendship not survive the the breakup? Then it didn't. Unfortunately, mm, we that's we hard. tried really hard, um, you know, for the dissolvement of the business not to affect the personal relationship, and it did. And it, it just I hated that because um, she was a great friend on top of being a, a business partner, and so that that part was I think harder for me was the loss of the friendship than the loss of the business partnership. Um, and the business has gone on to flourish and do exceptionally well. And I've realized I am better at running the company by myself than I was running it as a partner. But um, but the friendship part uh, and that loss was was a hard season to That's go through. That's really hard. Ugh, there's nothing worse than that. Friendship yeah. issues are so, so, so hard. Right. 
So as a publicist, what advice would you give to either a business owner or an author or influencer who is wanting to get more publicity or get their name out there? What are some of the best practices that you've seen and what are the worst things that you can do? (laughs) Uh, What a good question. So, you know, I would say, number one, there is a lot of stuff vying for our attention, right? There's noise out there competing for every minute of our day. You know, you have got your family and your work, and then you've got commitments at school and um, in your community and, you know, whatever is vying for your t- Netflix, whatever it is that's vying for your attention, there's a lot of noise out there. And so in order for someone to be effective and and really get above that fray, they have to have something that is distinctive and compelling. So if you are a food blogger, you can't be just like every other food blogger that you've seen out there, right? Or if you are um, a leadership and entrepreneur expert, you can't be touting the exact same thing that every other business leader has said. You have to have something that is unique and distinctive and that is compelling um, to the media. So it could be compelling because it's timely, right? It's a particular season of the year. Maybe it's um, connected to the holidays or maybe it's connected to back to school or maybe it's connected to new year, new you, but it's a particular season that it's connected to, or maybe it's connected to a trend that's happening in the media. There is a huge election happening next year, right? So we know that 99.9% of media's attention next year is going to be devoted to the election. Well, we have to bear that in mind when we're thinking about the content that we're delivering to media next year and what they're covering. Um, So it could be a trend, it could be a season, or it could just be an evergreen topic, like parenting, for example, that's never going away. There's always going to be somebody going through parenting issues, challenges, struggles, celebrations, whatever. And so you have to figure out what is it about what I have, my product, my service, my message, what is it about what I have that it is going to be of interest to them and how can I make it distinctive from all the other noise that's out there? I think that's something that's really important to do. A lot of mistakes that I see people make are they feel like they have to have flowery, impressive, highbrow language to describe their business in order for people to be interested. Mm. And instead, when it is clear and it is concise and people can understand very easily what you're offering them, you know, whether it's a product that you're offering and you're trying to sell and convince them to buy, or maybe it's a service that you want them to hire you for, or maybe it's just a message. Maybe you have a book or maybe you have a teaching or a a webinar, you know, whatever it is. Um, If you are able to succinctly and clearly communicate and not use all this industry jargon, which you think sounds impressive, but nobody really understands, (laughs) (laughs) that is a huge mistake that people make. Huh. So just speak clearly and be yourself. Yes, and figure exactly. out a way to tie it to what's relevant right now. Yeah, and, and what's be, and, and unique. You know, something that is distinctive about what you're saying 
that's not the same. You know, if you're an influencer in the fashion and beauty space and you're doing the same thing that 16 other influencers who have twice as big of an audience as you do, then why is somebody going to come to you? Like, what is it about you that's different than those fashion right. influencers? So would you say like it's good to be a little bit polarizing or to be, you know, t- kind of draw your line in the sand of like, here's where I am and, and almost like a little contra- controversial? I think it depends on what your desired outcome is. If you are interested in being on every cable news show and being a talking head, then being polarizing is great. You have an opinion, you're on camera with somebody who has a completely different opinion and y'all go at it in a four minute segment, right? Then yes, absolutely. But if you are trying to offer value to somebody by um, giving them tips on meal planning, then being polarizing is not necessarily (laughs) going to be beneficial. I don't know. You could be polarizing. You could be like super vegan or like my stuff. I actually have some meal planning stuff and my meal, I will tell you my meal planning stuff is very polarizing because I use processed ingredients and it's like all, you know, five ingredients or less, like super easy stuff, Uh which is basically not, it's not foodie food. And that's, that is my line that I draw in the sand with my recipes. Like if you're a foodie, probably not for you. Probably not for you, but you have a whole lot of busy working women who are, want to feed their children well and don't have a lot of time and need it, you know, laid out for them. And so it looks, it depends, like I said, on what, who your target audience and your desire, what your desired outcome is. So it's really important to know who you're going for and like who your audience is. Yeah, And you should be able to name her, you know, you should know how old she is. You should know what she is a consumer of. You should know if she has uh, what kind of education she has and where she lives and what she does for li- like you should know all of those things about her because the more specific you can be then the more customized you can be about trying to get to her as opposed to just throwing spaghetti up against the wall and seeing what sticks you know that is not our approach when trying to get media for our clients i would rather go after five of the most influential outlets for you that are going to move the needle for you and affect your bottom line, then go after 50 in a general way. Yes. Yeah. That's great advice. And I, I love that. That's so true. And the, I mean, the avatar thing, absolutely. That's one of the things, like first things that we teach in Elite Blog Academy is how to create your avatar and identify your avatar. And you're absolutely right. Like your avatar needs a name. It is not you know, women ages 25 through 55. It is one person with a name, with interests, with it's like your best friend. And when you can start like preparing things and, and tailoring everything you do to that one person, it's amazing how act- how people think that's exclusive, but it's actually um, way more inclusive because people feel like you're right, you're talking just to them, which is well, because the customization, you're able to be so deliberate with what kind of content you're delivering right to her. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Oh my goodness. So what are you working on right now that has you all fired up? Do you have any big goals that you're working on? Yes. Um, 
So next month, at the end of the month, we are hosting our very first Choice Summit. And it is a gathering of communication professionals where that most people would see as like competitors for me. You know, it's other men and women who own PR firms or who are freelance um, publicists or communications professionals. It's people in-house you know, and, um, and the idea is that we are bringing everyone together and we are bringing in a whole bunch of different experts that would benefit their competency would benefit our industry. So it's, um, branding experts, it's, um, um, experts on hiring talent and providing exceptional customer experience. It's media experts. It's, so it's a variety of categories, but the idea is that by bringing in all of my colleagues in the industry, we are going to better each other. We're going to learn from each other. We're going to talk about the challenges we're facing and, and, and see if anyone else has, you know, brainstorm ideas. But we're really, the idea is for us to be allies and not competitors. Wow. Um, and, and for iron to sharpen iron, right? And yeah. so um, it's the very first time we've ever done it. And I'm very excited about who we have speaking and, um, and, and the audience, the attendees who are coming. So I'm, I'm really, that's something that was a goal for, for us this year that is really, really close to happening. Awesome. That's exciting. And I love, I love the, the philosophy that we're not competitors. We all rise together. I think that's so, so important. Um, like you can, it goes back to mindset, right? You can either have a scarcity mindset and feel like everyone is about to take something from you, or you can have this abundance mindset and realize there's so much out there for all of us that if we can pour into each other, like we'll all benefit from it. And I, I love that you're taking that second approach. Well, when I went out on my own for the very first time, one of my dearest friends who owns a PR firm in Chicago said to me, she took me to dinner and she said, I want to be helpful to you. I am so happy and proud that you are doing this. There is enough business to go around. How can I help you be successful? And I thought she could have had a completely different perspective. She could have said, okay, Heather's going to be going after similar clients that I have. This is going to prevent me from getting business. But she didn't. She had this abundance-based mentality and she really helped me think through um, how to start my business well. And that's the, that's the mindset I want everyone to come to the table with. I love that so much. You know, and it's every industry has that. There's either the pettiness or there's the people that will lift you up and build you up. I mean, I've definitely seen that in the author, blogger, influencer world. There's like both both types of people. And it, it's amazing though when you can actually find communities that will that will build you up and 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 kind of like figure out how you what you can do to help each other and promote each other and work together. Like everybody's business grows faster as a result. It's a really cool thing to watch. Of course it does. I have just found it to be so beneficial. Oh, so true. So how do you uh, practice self-care in your life and your business? What is What are some of the things that you do to just take care of yourself or to protect your confidence, which is something that's really important as a business owner? You know, Ruth, I think people um, a lot of times equate self-care with like, manicures and a massage, right? Or a glass of wine at the end of the day um, on the couch with your feet propped up. And for me, self-care looks a little different. Um, 
Self-care includes therapy. I go to therapy on a regular basis. Um, I was just there last Friday. Uh, During seasons where I'm in a really good place, I go about once a month. And if I'm going through something really hard, I go more frequently. Um, That to me is taking care of myself from a mental wellness standpoint. Um, Self-care also looks like um, I go to a place called Garage Bar, which is a bar studio where I live. I go there multiple times a week. I, I was there last night and it was like the toxins were coming out as I was sweating and, you know, taking care of my body. It matters what goes into my mouth. It matters how much water I drink. It matters how much rest I'm getting. Um, those are really ways that I take care of myself. But one thing that really just fills my tank and may to some people feel like a burden is hospitality. And I love to entertain in my home. I love to cook for other people. I love to have all the boys from the baseball team over with my boys, right? Or our life group from church over and everybody's eating dinner together. Um, I try to do that once a month. That's a goal of mine this year is to, is to entertain in our home once a month. I feel like I'm taking care of myself when I'm, doing that because I get so much out of it. That's awesome. I love that. Okay. So last big question. This is the question that we ask every single person who comes on the podcast. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received and why? To hire better and smarter than you. I love that. I love that. My mentor, um, Pamela Clements, who hired me at Thomas Nelson, told me that years ago. And she said, don't ever feel threatened by somebody who is good at something that you're not or who is better in um, one area than you or or is smarter in the room than, than you are. You know, when you hire better and smarter than you, they are making you better and smarter. And I hired a girl several years ago who was an extraordinary writer. And every time I gave her something of mine, she made it better by just by touching it and by editing it. And she was a lot younger than me. If she, if I had been threatened by that, then my work and the work we were doing for our clients and the writing we were sending to media wouldn't have been as strong. But because she brought that gift and that talent to the table and I, you know, had that mindset of I'm hiring somebody better and smarter than me, it really brought so much more value to the team. That's amazing. That's such good advice. Um, so what other, what else do you want us to know? I know you have, um, something special for do it scared podcast listeners that you want to talk about. So let's just, um, finish up. Why don't you let us know about this special little thing you've got going on? I'm so excited. (laughs) Well, first of all, I'm just grateful to be with your audience and just, um, so proud to be in the company of your guests. I mean, you have extraordinary people on, on the podcast and I'm grateful. So, Um, Because of that, I wanted to give something back to your audience. And one thing that we do at Choice that is a service we offer is a brand audit. And it's a $5,000 service. So if somebody came to us and we were selling them this and they they bought it, it would cost them $5,000. But 
what we do is a deep dive into your brand and we do um, a competitive analysis. We um, review your platform and, and your business and your mission and values and all your socials and your website and um, any promotional materials and what you're offering your clients. And, um, and we go through and we, uh, provide a deep dive of this is what your brand is saying about you. This is what other people in the industry are doing. These would be catalysts for growth and development. And here are our recommendations for next steps. So I want to offer a free brand audit to one of your listeners. That's exciting. I want to, can I enter this contest? Because I want to (laughs) win. Of course you can. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm like, um, as you're talking, I'm like, so huh, that sounds really amazing. So how, so do they, how, how do they, how do they enter? Okay. How do they enter to win? So here's what I would, I would say, suggest is if they will send an email to info at choicepublicity.com, I-N-F-O at choicepublicity.com with their name and their contact information, um, their company URL or their socials, website, whatever is their platform. So if, if you're an influencer, it may all be on Instagram, right? But whatever your platform is, if you'll send us the links to that, and then what industry you're in and why you would be interested in a brand audit. What what, what do you hope to get out of, of something like that? If they will send us all of that information in an email, then we will pick one winner to do a deep dive brand audit. That's exciting. And we will, if you didn't catch all of that, or if you're driving or whatever, we will include all of the information for how you can enter in the show notes for this episode. So don't worry about that. We'll also have it in the show notes, but Heather, oh my gosh, thank you so much. That's amazing and super exciting. And do you have any final words of wisdom that you want to share? And then where can we find you online? Oh, Ruth, you know, I, um, I really believe in the message of, of what you're saying about doing it scared and about stepping into that fear. And even as a rule follower and a perfectionist, <laughs> I know that in the moments that I have been the most frightened about the next step is where I have seen the biggest growth. So I am such an encourager and supporter of that message and believer in it. Um, and then you guys can find us. So choice is, um, choice publicity is, is our handle everywhere. So whether it's Instagram or Facebook or our website is choicepublicity.com. And then my personal is Heather Dixon, D I X O N Adams. And my favorite place to connect is on Instagram. I think that is such a happy, fun place because you can see each other and you can share videos and um, pictures. And so you'll see a lot about my boys as well as our business. Awesome. I love it so much. And again, we will have all of that, all of that information on the show notes. Heather, thank you so much for joining us today. This was awesome. So good. Thanks. Ruth, it's been such a delight. Thank you for having me. Okay, so don't forget that if you would like to get all the show notes for this episode, along with the links to everything that we just talked about, you can find it all at doitscared.com slash episode 89. Once again, you can get all the show notes and links on our website at doitscared.com slash episode 89. And while you're there, be sure to also take our fear assessment to find out exactly how fear is showing up in your life. Go find out out what is your fear archetype and then find out what you can do about it. It's life-changing, guys, I promise. 
And then before we go, I just want to say, as always, that I love hearing from you. So if you have any questions about what we talked about today or any other topics that you would like to see addressed here on the Do It Scared podcast, please feel free to reach out either via email or just by messaging me on Instagram. And that about does it for this episode of the Do It Scared with Ruth Zuga podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. And if you liked what you heard, I would love it if you would post a review on iTunes. And then while you're there, be sure to subscribe to be notified of new episodes. We actually have something really fun that we're going to start adding just on iTunes. So if you're listening in other places or if you're listening on our website and not on iTunes, see if you can start subscribing there because there's going to be a little something extra that you'll only be able to find there. And then speaking of upcoming episodes, be sure to join me next week for another riveting one-to-one coaching session. You never know what's going to come out, but you always know there's going to be something practical to take away. And I will catch you then. Thank you.